I wasn't there. I think mine would have been more of a shuffle, literally, if I'd been, uh, been there. But anyway, it was awesome to see and uh, great to be a part of our, our wonderful community. And I want to welcome all of you all out today to our, our worship time together. We're going, to be, we're going to study the book of Acts. We're going to be continuing that study today. And I'm really excited about we're going to share uh, some things we're going to share today. You know, most of us have probably seen or heard of the musical Fiddler on the Roof. The story centers on a family there, a man by the name of Tevya, who's a milkman in the fictional Jewish-Ukrainian village of Antevka, who attempts to maintain this Jewish culture and religious uh, traditions uh, as the outside influences press in on them, encroach upon his family to compromise. And he has to deal with, in the, the story, if you've ever seen it, of the strong-willed uh, actions of his three older daughters. They're wanting to marry for love of all things and get away from the traditions that they have, uh, have kept for years, arranged marriage. And every husband that comes in is a little less acceptable uh, to, uh, to, to Tevya. And he says right at the start of the musical that their lives are difficult. Their lives are as precarious as someone playing the violin on a housetop. And thus the title of the play, A Fiddler on the Roof. And he says, making ends meet is not easy, so how do we keep our balance? And that I can tell you in one word, tradition. Tradition, that's kind of what the whole musical is about if you've never seen that. Anyway, I'm not a big musical guy, but this kind of struck a note with me about our message today. Tradition not only dictates how those families, he and his neighbors, would eat, sleep, work, and wear their clothes... It also teaches them how to rely on each other, relate to each other as husband and wife and sons and daughters and neighbors and establishes the patterns of their life and even more importantly reminds them daily of the hope that gives them life. And he says this, because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Well, that fictional story is really not so far from the reality and the historical truth of the Jewish nation. God had given them long ago, he had given the Jewish people a very strict set of rules to follow, guidelines that they were to live their life by, the beginning with the Ten Commandments and expanding beyond that. But these traditions and laws became even more strict and confining with their interpretation of them. And even beyond that, their man-made traditions that they added to the law and equated them with the law of God. None of these rules set them apart more than their dietary laws, what they could and could not eat. The difference between clean and unclean foods was very distinct, and it was interpreted and determined in many ways who they could eat with, besides what they could eat, who they could visit, who they could even have a conversation with. All these things were determined by some very strict laws, and all of this left the Jews with a very superior attitude about life. They were better than everyone else. Not only were, were, was food deemed to be clean and unclean, but even beyond that, people were viewed in the same way. There were clean people who were like us, and there were unclean people who were very different. And it was sad that a Jewish man would wake up every day and would start his day with a prayer, thanking God that he was not a slave, not a woman, and not a Gentile. A lot of arrogance in that. And that's kind of how they started their life and they lived their life. So those things determined, their tradition determined a great deal. Now, Jesus came along. And one of the reasons why he was so controversial is that Jesus pushed back against these laws and especially their traditions. And Jesus came that he did not say, uh, saying he did not come to negate the laws, but he came to fulfill the law 
And he came to replace the parts of the law that actually alienated people from God and from other people. You can imagine having these kind of laws and traditions that there was a lot of alienation. There was a lot of, of conflict. And that was true with the Jewish people for many, many years. In Mark chapter 7, in a conversation about this, Jesus said, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? Think about that in light of the food loss. For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So the issue wasn't really about what food you could eat as much as it was the mentality of what is clean and who is clean and who is unclean. And so these words of Jesus directly addressed and negated all the dietary laws that the Jews had previously been under. So he's saying it's not the food that's going to make you unclean. It's what goes into your mind and your heart. And when Jesus said this, all of his disciples were present, but understand that a few words, even the words of Jesus, was not going to negate generations of traditions and, and make them easily erased. And now this issue is going to come to light. It's going to come to light in the church. Uh, issues that, that are important to us always come to light in life in some ways, right? So this is going to kind of blow up in the church. Not so much about food. The issue is not what they eat or not, not eat, but specifically about who is clean and who is unclean. And I think there's some lessons for us today when we think about who we are, how we relate to people, how God views people, and, and how we should accept everyone and have a heart for them and for their needs, who, regardless of who they are. So all of that, let's set that, let's bring that together, and now let's go to Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need. He prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. So Caesarea was a city, and it was the headquarters of the Roman governor in Judea. So there were a lot of Roman citizens there. It was a larger city. There were soldiers. There were families. There were citizens there. And they, of course, were viewed by the Jews as pagans for two reasons. Number one, they were Gentiles. Secondly, they were the overlords over their country, so they were despised. They did not have good relationship with the Romans, only were, were forced to, to obey them. So they were pagans and viewed very negatively. But the worship of the living God had kind of influenced and gone beyond the pagan gods that the Romans oftentimes worshipped. And they began to influence even the Roman soldiers. One of them in particular was a man named Cornelius. And uh, he was a devout man. He had picked up on the teachings of the Jewish people about God, God-fearing. He gave generously to people in need. They call that giving alms in that day to the beggars, people who would be alongside the road begging. And so he gave generously to them, and he prayed to God regularly. So he was seeking, he was reaching out to God. And, and one day as he was praying... As we just read, he saw, had a vision, a vision of an angel. And uh, the angel told him, your faith and your practice, your uh, seeking of God has been noticed by God. And now I want you, or God wants you, to send for a man named Peter who is staying in the city of Joppa, which was a city about 30 miles away. 
And so obedient to an angel, most of us would obey an angel, he sent his servants and a Roman soldier for protection on the road on the two-day journey to get Peter. So that's kind of what's happened there. You know, Cornelius had no idea, I'm sure, that he would be the first Gentile convert, which is what we're kind of moving toward here. Um, He was just seeking to know who God was. Now, one thing we do know a little bit later on, that not only did Cornelius know or had he heard about the God of the Jewish people, but he also had heard a little bit about Jesus as well. He knew something about who Jesus was, almost everybody knew. We talked about how that when the Christians left Jerusalem because of persecution, they took the gospel everywhere. So, so uh, Cornelius was curious about how did Jesus connect with the, jo- the God of the Jewish people, and, uh, and he's curious and he's seeking God. Now, he sent for Peter, probably knowing that he would be viewed by Peter, who everybody knew was a very strict Jew, he would be viewed as unclean, but the angel had told him, send for Peter, and so he just obeyed. You know, a lot of times we have people who object to um, the fact that we need Jesus, and people often wonder, what about the eternity of those people who are living in places where Jesus is not well known? Let's say a, a country where there is no church and where the gospel hasn't come yet, or Unfortunately, sometime in our country where people don't know anything about Jesus, have never really studied him. What, what about those people? You know, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You know, Jesus said, if you seek me, you will find me. So here's a perfect example of a man who was seeking God reaching out, no real right to, because he wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't uh, a, known to be a righteous man necessarily or belong to a righteous nation, the Roman government, but he knew that there was a God. God was reaching his heart. He had opened his heart to God. He was seeking God. Also knowing that it would probably impact his entire life, family, and, and career as well, because he would be leaving the God of the, gods of the Romans and coming to, to the true God but that would not be viewed well for his career. So more than likely, he kind of hit a ceiling there in that, but he didn't care because he was seeking God. And Jesus said, if you seek me, you will find me. So God was about to open the door, not only to him and to his entire family, but actually to the whole world, the whole world. Because before this, as in our study, there was no way to come to God unless you became a Jew first. And we've already talked about Jews coming to God. We talked about people who were half Jews, Samaritans and, and Gentiles, uh, the Gentiles, half Jew, half, half Gentile. And, and we talked about them coming to God, but now this is a whole different thing that's happening here. And we all should be grateful, honestly, because most of us probably are Gentile. So had it not been for this event, many of us, maybe none of us could ever have come to God. But before Cornelius was converted, however, somebody else had to be converted. And guess who that was? That was Peter. Peter is the one who has very strict convictions about what is clean and unclean, and God's going to have to speak to him before Peter can speak to Cornelius. Meanwhile, Peter, who's back in Joppa, uh, has no idea what's happening. Uh, But the next day, while Cornelius' servants were approaching his, his house, Peter became hungry And he went up on the roof of the home he was staying in to pray while he was waiting for food to be prepared. So uh, he he had a vision of his own. In verse 11, we pick up that story. He says, Peter saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. 
It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. So here were two men who were 30 miles apart, and uh, physically, they were a million miles apart culturally, but only they were only a few steps apart spiritually. And God was going to create a meeting here that was going to change literally the whole world. Now, keep in mind, too, that Peter had been given the keys to the kingdom. Remember that? Whenever Jesus said, who do you think I am? Peter said, well, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus commended him and said, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, and you'll be able to open up the kingdom of God to all sorts of people. And so on the day of Pentecost, when the church began, he had been privileged to invite the first Jewish people into Christ, into the church. And then a little bit later on in our study, a couple of weeks ago, he invited the, the Samaritans, the Jewish slash Gentile people into Christ. And now he was going to invite the fully Gentile people to accept Christ who had never become Jews. But first of all, Peter had to learn a lesson of his own. And he had to overcome his own personal and cultural prejudices that he had held probably all of his life. You know, it's kind of interesting that maybe because he was hungry, his vision involved food. You know, God was setting all this up. God knew how to speak to him. He was speaking Peter's language because he was hungry. And what he saw, his vision was of a sheet that was lowered from heaven. And in that sheet were all sorts of animals, kosher and non-kosher. In other words, animals that were acceptable for him to eat and some that were not acceptable. Now, this was obviously not a coincidence, you know, and it wasn't just a, a result of his hunger. It really was God teaching Peter an important lesson here, something he had to learn and write on time, in real time. You know, and when you think about it, Peter thought he was privileged because he was a Jew, but in reality, Peter had been uh, completely, had lived a very deprived life. And let me tell you how I know that, because Peter had never eaten bacon in his life. I'm telling you, when I, when I told the, the, room, the group back here in the green room we were going to talk about bacon today, they got so excited, and they're like, are you going to cook bacon for us? Or are you going to, you know, I'm like, no, no, we're just going to talk a little bit about it. But Peter had never eaten bacon in his life. Pork was, uh, you know, it was um, prohibited for him. He had never had a lobster in his life. I don't know if you're a lobster person tonight, but I mean, think about it, never, ever tasted Tasted lobster. So Peter had, he had lived a pretty deprived life in a lot of ways. Uh, but he didn't have any idea what he had missed, you know, because this, the prohibition was so strong, he would never, ever think about eating any of these unclean things. And in seeing all those things, I'm sure a part of him was kind of repelled, like, oh, no. But a voice came with the vision that said, Peter, get up and kill and eat. Kill and eat these animals. You know, I'm wondering what's going through Peter's mind. Maybe he's thinking that God is testing him as to his loyalty to his Jewish heritage. He knows it's from God. You know, it's so clear. Uh, and he's seen these sort of things before. Maybe he thought God was testing him. So he's going to be strong. And he says to God, God, I, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. You know, when you think about it, Peter wasn't always the quickest study, was he? You know, he wasn't always the sharpest knife in the drawer. He was slow to pick up on things. And he had a bad habit of telling Jesus no. Had a bad habit of telling Jesus no. One time when Jesus said, I'm going to have to go and suffer and die, and Peter said, that's not true. You're not going to go through that. Well, that was the wrong thing to say, right? 
And then when it came time to acknowledge who Jesus was, then he said, no, I don't know who Jesus is. Three times, right? He was pretty impulsive here. And then so he immediately says, God, I would never do that. But the voice said to him, do not call anything that God has made uh, impure that God has made clean. And that happened three times in a row, probably because Peter was a little slow sometime, you know. So the sheet came down. The voice spoke to him, kill and eat. Peter said, no. God said, don't call what I've made uh, clean unclean, and it went back up, and it came down three times, so don't miss the message, you know? It's kind of hard to, to miss it three times. And uh, then the sheet was gone, and Peter was awake and alert. And in verse 17, it says, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking Simon, who was known as Peter, or if Simon, known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So even Peter could figure this one out. You know, three times the vision, the spirit speaks to him, you know, uh, and says, go downstairs. People are looking for you. It's almost leading him by the hand. This is what you need to do. So, so Peter's trying to figure that out, trying to figure out what God's telling him through this. And at that very moment, the servants from Cornelius show up at the house where Peter's staying and shared the reason why they had come. They related the, the vision uh, that Cornelius had had. And they said, we came from Cornelius, the centurion, and suddenly things clicked for Peter. They clicked because if they had come before Peter had had this vision, you know what he would have said? No, not going with you, not even going to talk to you. They wouldn't even talk to people they considered to be unclean. He would have said no immediately. But whenever they came after this vision, he did what no cultural Jew would ever have ever done. He had actually invited them into the house where he was staying. Not just to stay on the back porch, but he invited them to be his guests. That, mean they got, that means they got the best place to stay, the best accommodations. And this was scandalous in that day. I mean, to us, it's like, well, yeah, that makes sense. But it would be scandalous in that day. He didn't just let them stay the night. He considered them to be his guests, and he gave them the very best that he had. And I was thinking, I bet the neighbors were talking, right? You know what? The neighbors are always watching and talking. I'm sure the neighbors had something to say. But then I thought, wait a minute here. The guy that Peter was staying with, was his name was Simon, too. He was a tanner. And if you know what tanners do, they, they tan hides, and they stink. So more than likely, he didn't have any neighbors. You know, he probably lived off by himself. <laughs> And, uh, you know, Peter had a great place to stay, you know, lots of room uh, with Simon. But, you know, I don't think Peter cared anyway, really. He didn't care what people thought. He was leaving the next day. Uh, he was going, but, but, you know, he was serving God. That's what's important. But I want you to think a little bit about the house party that night, what, what it was like in that house. Here, here's an apostle. None of these guys really know each other. Here's an apostle. Here's a tanner. Uh, they, they've made friends. There's two house servants and a Roman soldier. Kind of sounded like a start of a joke of some sort. You know, these guys all came together. But, but you know what? God was in the middle of that. Even though there were people that you would never imagine having anything in common, God was doing something, and that was obvious. And I imagine they had a pretty good conversation that night. Anyway, the next day, Peter went with them. He took some of the believers from Joppa with him. That was really smart when you think about it. You know, Peter's like, I don't know what God's doing, uh, but I need some witnesses here so that everybody knows that I'm not making this up and, and uh, some support. So they had a lot of faith to even go with him as well. God was moving in, in, among these people, these believers, and he was opening their hearts to other people. So they, they all took off on the road. When they got to Cornelius' house, the first thing that happens 
They walk in, and this powerful Roman soldier, centurion, uh, he, he falls down at Peter's feet. I mean, that, that's a great way to, to, to show the, your heart, isn't it? The kind of humility there. And he falls down, and Peter, you know, has humbled himself. He makes him get up. He went to the house. He discovered that Cornelius was not alone. He had actually invited all of his family and all of his friends, and he had a house full of people who were there anxious to hear what Peter had to say. So there was a great movement there in the city of what God was doing. Peter reminded them the obvious, the elephant in the room. I, I probably shouldn't be here. Highly irregular for me to be a Jew, to even be in this house, because they literally would not even walk in the door of a Gentile home. But God has shown him that no one remembered the dream. Nobody was common. Nobody was unclean. And then he asked him why, because maybe he had not really known the reason for his coming. And Cornelius recounted the vision that he'd had. So they shared the visions. Probably he told the vision that he had had um, himself to Cornelius and the family. And in verse 34, it says, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. How he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and, and caused him <coughs> to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. You know what? Peter could have talked about a lot of things that made them different. You know, he could have, he could have brought up a lot of differences about what they believed and what, what their history was. But Peter focused on the one thing that made them the same, and that was their name for Jesus, uh, their need for Jesus. He just preached Jesus as the Son of God. Do you notice here, he just preached the gospel. He, he talked about Jesus, God's Son, filled with the Holy Spirit, the teachings of Jesus, his good work and miracles and signs, and then his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, the forgiveness of sins for all those who, who would believe on his name. You know, I'm sure that we don't have Peter's whole message here, because knowing preachers, he didn't say it in that short of a time. No, he could have been an hour. Uh, he talked a long time, I'm sure. But we had the gist of it, and he focused on the gospel. And the people gathered there embraced what he was saying. They believed it with all their heart. God was moving. And in verse 44, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that were the Jews, who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. You know, going back a few uh, chapters, several chapters, when the first church first began with the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost back in Acts chapter 2, it came among the Jews. And the Bible says, if you remember, they had been filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And they spoke in different and known languages as the Spirit, as proof of the Spirit's power. So in other words, everyone heard in their own language, even though they were some, from all over the known world at that time. And the same thing happened here in Cornelius' house, proving that God had embraced the Gentiles as well as the Jews. So it was a, a sign, a signal. Even though the language barrier wasn't there at the time, they probably all spoke the same language in that room. They all received the same sign, proving that God had embraced the Gentiles and that they were just as equal as the Jews. And they all praised God. And then Cornelius and his household were all baptized in the name of Jesus. You know, I think this moment was kind of the turning point in the church as it was proof that God was opening up the kingdom of heaven to all people and bringing everyone into a relationship with himself through Jesus Christ. You know, I think the lesson that Peter learned here and that we need to learn today is that there is no one who is not worthy of knowing Jesus. No one. And I know that none of us probably have that attitude in our hearts, but there is a perception among those who maybe are outside the Christian circle that they're not worthy, that they're not proper, that they're not acceptable. And we've got to shatter that somehow. We all have worth not because of who we are. We have worth because we're made in the image of God, and we all have a soul that needs to be saved. And not only that, God has gifted those of us who have knowledge of him, he has gifted us with a treasure that we're then able to give to others, that we, the Bible says that we are sent. Kind of the title of this whole series of messages on Acts is that, that we're sent. The disciples were sent. Jesus sent them. Jesus sends up. We are sent into the world that anyone and everyone who would come to him are free, are invited. All those that struggle with no matter what the challenge may be in life, you know, maybe their, their family heritage is not that great. Maybe someone struggles with an addiction or uh, an issue. You know, we, we talk about our Celebrate Recovery, those with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. We all have issues, but we all need Jesus. That's the one thing we have in common. And nobody is any better, nobody's any worse than anyone. We all need Jesus. And that's the word that we got to send to the world. Before I leave the scripture, let me share a comparison here between a couple of guys. I don't know if I've ever even thought about this before, but, but the comparisons between Peter, who understood the assignment, he got it finally, and he obeyed, and another Jewish man of God who came to Joppa many years before with a message that God had given him to take to the Gentile nations. You probably heard about him. His, he's in the Old Testament. His name was Jonah. His name was Jonah. And God called Jonah and said, Jonah, I want you to go and preach to a city named, named Nineveh, which was a pagan city. And I want you to just go and tell the people to repent. But Jonah instead thought he could run from God's call. So he went to the same city, Joppa, where Peter was years later. And he tried to run from God. He got on a, a, a ship and he went out into the sea where God caused a great storm to come up. And where Jonah was eventually thrown overboard swallowed by a fish, was in the belly of a fish for three days. And guess what Jonah did when he got out? He went and preached what God wanted him to say. You know, he, uh, that was a lesson hard learned, a difficult lesson. Probably we all know that story. But I just thought the, comp the contrast between those two, Peter and Jonah, is a pretty good one for me to leave with you today. Because if God has a mission and a call on your life to share Jesus with someone, it's a smart idea to go do it, and don't be a Jonah. 
be a Peter. Even though we may be a little slow, a little dense sometimes to figure it out, when God calls, go do it. And I'll tell you, I've learned this the hard way a time or two. It's kind of interesting. Uh, I've told my story before about um, feeling like God was calling me to go talk to somebody and not doing it where I ended up. Uh, So last night I got a phone call, yesterday afternoon a phone call. Uh, Somebody wants to talk to you in the hospital. I'm like, I'll be there in just a few minutes, you know. (laughs) And so it was really cool. Uh, Dan and I went and uh, we were able to share Jesus with a man and lead him to the Lord. You know, somebody I'd never met before, but... When God calls you and God sends you, it's always the right thing to do to go. And that's not because I'm a minister. It's just because I want to be available. And there are people that you have in your life that are available. But you have to just listen to God because you, as well as Peter, are sent. Let's remember that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for this story. God, I'm grateful for Cornelius, a man who was devout and righteous and seeking you, Lord. And, who, and for Peter, who was willing to go outside of himself and share Jesus with this man. And God, even though he was the first, he's been the first of, of millions, millions of people who have no right to come to you, but God, are welcomed into your family. Lord, I thank you that we have the chance to do that. Lord, I pray that each of us would see our role in this, that we too are being sent by you, Lord, into the world. And to everyone, Lord, there's no greater or lesser. We're all equal. All of us need Jesus, Lord. Father, I thank you that that we have discovered that. I pray we can take that to the world. Lord, I pray today if there's anyone here who is longing or hurting, Lord, for any reason, God, they would know that there is a Savior that longs to reach to them and lead them to hope. Lord, I pray that we can be that kind of church, and I pray we can be those kind of people, and I pray that our service and uh, we would, it would always be an opening and people would understand they are welcome here. And Lord, if there are those here this morning who just need to respond in prayer or seeking their next step on their journey, like Cornelius was, that Lord, uh, you give them the courage just to stay, uh, speak out, to step out, Lord. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Stand together and worship him.